the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, we find something entirely unique, something that really has no parallel in any other book of the New Testament. It's the words of a prayer. More specifically, it's the words of a prayer prayed by Jesus himself. Now, of course, you might say, well, there's nothing totally unique about that. After all, all four of the Gospels talk about Jesus praying, and both Matthew and Luke tell us the specific words that Jesus used when he taught his disciples to pray. And that's true, but that's not all that we find in John 17. Because John doesn't just tell us that Jesus prayed, nor does John content himself with telling us the words that he taught his disciples to pray. No, John does something different. John gives us a window into Jesus' deepest desires. He tells us the words that Jesus says when he opens up his heart to his Father. In this chapter, we are given a glimpse into the very heart of Jesus, what he hopes for, what he loves, what he, what he wants for us. Queen Elizabeth I once famously said that she could not make windows into men's souls. But here in this chapter, that is exactly what we find, a window into Jesus' very soul. And what could be more profound than that? As one theologian poses the question, is there any chapter in the Bible richer in meaning than this? In the 17th chapter of John, we are given a window, a view into Jesus' deepest desires, into what he really wants. And that's what we're going to focus on in this session. We're going to ask the question, what does Jesus really want? Or more specifically, we're going to ask two questions. What does Jesus want for himself, and what does he want for the church? First, what does Jesus want for himself? It may seem odd to ask this question. After all, we tend to think of Jesus as, as being totally selfless. In fact, that was one of the principal themes of our last session, that Jesus thinks not about his own wants or needs, but instead that he willingly adopts the posture of a servant, that he focuses on the needs of others. And of course, that's true. But it's worth noting that Jesus begins this prayer by asking for something for himself. Father, the hour has come, he begins, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. And then a few verses later, once again, he says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That's how Jesus begins his prayer by asking his Father to be glorified. Uh, evidently, what Jesus wants for himself is glory, which may seem like a rather strange thing to ask for. Because if you're anything like me, you probably don't think of glory as something that a person should want. And we've got phrases to describe people who want glory. Phrases like glory seeker or glory hound. And we talk about people being vainglorious or wanting the limelight. And none of these are compliments. And that's not just because of common misunderstandings. Even someone as intelligent as C.S. Lewis 
struggled to understand how the desire for glory could be a good thing. Glory, he said, suggests two ideas to me, of which one seems wicked and the other ridiculous. Either glory means to me fame, or it means luminosity. As for the first, since to be famous means to be better known than other people, the desire for fame appears to me as a competitive passion, and therefore of hell rather than heaven. As for the second, who wishes to become a kind of living light bulb? And yet, nevertheless, glory is exactly what Jesus asked for. Not only that, glory, glory is a central theme throughout all of John's gospel. From the very opening section, where we're told that the Word became flesh, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, to the very last chapter of John, where, where John mentions that Peter will die, and that the manner of his death will bring glory, will glorify God. Glory is not only at the heart of Jesus' prayer then, it's a principal theme throughout this entire book. In fact, you could go so far as to say, as Leslie Newbegin said, that to interpret the word glory is to interpret the whole gospel. So what is glory then? And why does Jesus begin his prayer by asking for the Father to glorify him? Well, when the Bible speaks of the glory of God, it is referring on the one hand to God's own nature, to who God is and what he's like. And then secondly, to both the recognition and also the, the joyful adoration of that nature by others. To glorify God then is not only to know who God is and what he's like, but also to take great delight in who God is and what he's like. And this, this delight, this enjoyment, this is according to much of the Christian tradition, this is, in fact, nothing less than the primary purpose for which human beings were made. You can see it in the, the famous first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man, the catechism asks. What is the primary purpose of human life? Man's chief end, the catechism answers, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, of course, if you say that human beings were created with the intention that they would know and take delight in God, you run the risk of making God sound like little more than a self-absorbed narcissist. Is God somehow dependent on the praise and adoration of his creatures? Is he really that needy? Well, no, at least not if we take seriously what Jesus says in his prayer. Notice again what Jesus says with his opening words. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have made. It's interesting how Jesus phrases this request to be glorified. He says that his hour has come, that the, the time has come when he will now do what he came to do. And he references the main purpose of his mission, to give eternal life to all. 
So when Jesus asks to be glorified, he's not just asking for his own sake. Apparently, his being glorified is the means by which eternal life will come. But more than that, Jesus asks for glory so that the Father may be glorified. And then several verses later, he says that this glory that he's asking for is in fact the glory that he shared with the Father before the world even existed. But what are we to make of all this? Well, let's start with that last observation, with what Jesus says about sharing glory with the Father before the world existed. I mentioned that one of the downsides of talking about the glory of God is that it can sound like God is just like some self-absorbed celebrity who is in constant and desperate need for attention. But that's not how Christians think of God. God does not need attention or adoration from his creatures because God already enjoys in his own eternal life all of the delight and adoration that he could ever possibly want. Before the world existed, the Father found perfect delight and joy in the Son, who shared his own perfect beauty and goodness. And the Son, likewise, adored and celebrated and delighted in the beauty and the wisdom and the goodness of the Father. And they weren't alone. No, their, their mutual delight and enjoyment and adoration of one another it was shared by a third, the Holy Spirit, the one who came from their joy and shared in it with them. That is what God's glory, God's beauty is. As the Orthodox theologian David Bentley Hart puts it, God's beauty is delight and the object of delight the shared gaze of love that belongs to the persons of the Trinity. It is what God beholds, what the Father sees and rejoices in the Son, in the sweetness of the Spirit, what Son and Spirit find delightful in one another, because as Son and Spirit of the Father, they share His knowledge and love as persons. That's what Jesus is referring to when He asks the Father to glorify Him with the glory that they have shared in eternity. He's asking his father to make the beauty of their endless delight in one another visible to all. He's asking that in the moment of his death, his hour, that the beauty of God's eternal love and delight will be made apparent to a world that has become ugly through hatred and scorn. And why is this important? So that, as Jesus prays, so that this eternal life, this life of mutual love and delight can be shared and can be experienced by others. That's what Jesus wants for himself. He wants to be glorified because he wants others to share in the happiness of the love that he and the Father and the Spirit have known from before the creation of the world. And that's why he begins the prayer the way that he does. But that's not where he ends. Jesus' prayer continues for another 20 verses. And in those 20 verses, we discover not only what Jesus wants for himself, but what he wants for the church as well. There's a lot that Jesus includes in his prayer for the church. He asked that they would be kept from evil. 
He asked that they would continue to be sanctified in the, the truth of his word and teaching. He asked that their love and unity with one another would come to mirror the love and unity that he and the Father share. Now, there's a lot we could say about what Jesus wants for the church, but I'd like to make just one observation. Jesus begins his prayer by asking for the Father to give him glory. But as we saw, this wasn't a selfish prayer. He wants to be glorified so that others can come to share in the love and joy that he's always known. And if you pay attention, you'll notice that he asks for the same thing for the church. In verse 24, Jesus says what he really wants. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What Jesus most wants for his followers is for them to share in his own happiness, to be full of his own joy, as he puts it in verse 13. And in order to do that, he wants them to see his glory, that glory that he shared with the Father and the Spirit, the beauty that thrills his heart with delight. He wants his followers to experience that, to share in that. That's what he's saying in verse 24. But if you read the two previous verses, you'll realize that Jesus doesn't just want the church to share in his happiness just for their sake. He wants them to share in it so that others can share in it as well. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. In the 17th chapter of John, we find something unique, something remarkable. We find insight into Jesus' deepest desires, what it is that he really wants. In this chapter, in this prayer, we see into Jesus' own heart. And what do we find there? Well, in a word, joy. Jesus is overwhelmed with the joy, the love, the mutual delight that he has experienced from eternity past. And what he wants, what he wants more than anything is to share that joy. He wants others to experience the happiness that he has known in this, this blissful delight that he and the Father and the Spirit have experienced in one another. He wants others to know the joy that comes from loving and being loved, from enjoying and being enjoyed, from adoring and being adored. That is the eternal life that Jesus has come to offer. That's what he wants for his church. And that's what he wants for his church to share with the world.